Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy, and I'm pumped. Wow, that's good, Randy. Um, oh, I don't even know what to say to that. Why are you so pumped? <laughs> because I just found out that a couple of weeks ago, my other podcast, Let's Find Out Together, was number two Christian podcast in the nation. Which nation, Randy? Of Turkey. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, not not to mock or anything, but uh, I don't know anybody in Turkey, <laughs> so I'm not sure how to read that. I'm pulling you back just here. Um, yeah, no, I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm probably on, not going to be quite that excited and pumped uh, now. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, no, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. But oddly enough, that is not what we're talking about today on this episode. No, of it's Salt not. Saints. No, it's but not. thank you for that fun fact. Oh, you're I am so, very excited. So welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> today, we're going to be talking about Christianity and the culture of the world and how those two things get together, how they yeah. work together. Yeah, cultural expressions of Christianity. You know, it's probably appropriate that we talk about number two Christian podcast in Turkey. <laughs> hey, actually, look at that. Okay, I take it back. It fits. <laughs> we'll get there. But first, we're going to go to a quick word from our sponsors. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, um, cultural expressions of Christianity. Okay, I don't know how clear that was to me when I was preparing my notes for this podcast. So we may have two different routes we're going. Okay. I don't know. Okay. We'll see what happens. Let's figure it out, yeah. I mean, I think we should be kind of going the right Direction. Oh, I think so. I don't see that we would be too far off. Yeah. So let's maybe maybe we start here. Maybe we start with what prompted this episode. Do you not remember? I don't remember. Okay, we were talking about progressive Christianity. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And how um, it is so different. From Orthodox Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I would venture to say it is not Christianity. Some expressions of it, yeah. yeah. It. I mean, okay, when people talk about progressive Christianity, 
the thing that they By are talking large, about yeah. is not Christianity. I, uh, yeah. There are more progressive actual Christians out there. There are left of center leaning Christians. Yeah. I get that. That's it's cool. A spectrum. That that yeah. happens, right? What does not pass is the the thing that is currently referred to as progressive Christianity. Right. Now you looked up actually a definition for yeah, progressive Christianity. I did. You? And um it was actually it was an article by a man named Dr. Michael J. Kruger. Um I did not read the whole article. I'm gonna be honest, Mr. Kruger. Um please don't haunt me in my dreams. But um <laughs> That was lame. I'm sorry. Um, but I did like the way he summed up what progressive Christianity is. Yeah. Um, or maybe, maybe even what it isn't. Uh, but he, he, he gave three points yeah. and his three points were, uh, progressive Christianity has a low view of Christ. Which would mean they focus much more on the humanity of Christ yes. than on his divinity. Right. Uh, he actually says as much as Jesus is kind of like this big brother figure okay. to us yeah. um, that has sort of paved the way that we're to follow in his way. Gotcha. But it's so we can reach our potential. It takes all the focus <laughs> off, of, off of him, right? Like it kind of – honestly, a lot of – progressive Christians. And here's the deal. If you're a, if you would consider yourself a progressive Christian and you're like, well, that doesn't sound like me. Great. I'm very happy for you. I'm glad that this isn't you. Um, that means you're probably still a Christian. Um, <laughs> so sorry, I might get a little snarky talking about this one, <laughs> but, um, like it, it's so focused on humanity that they, a lot of progressive Christians seem to not believe in the uh, inerrancy of scripture. Um, okay. and I'm adding that I'm kind of putting that here with the low view of Christ. Um, so they just kind of believe that the Bible's been tampered with by man and that it's wrong and things, which is how they bend it to get or to, to make it say what they want it to right. say. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that, that's an issue. Uh, so that's first point. Second point, progressive Christianity is focused on moralism, not on salvation. Gotcha. Gotcha. That one's very visible. Now, moralism, uh, again, would be uh, be a nice person, right? Which is hilarious because if you don't have a God, you don't have moralism. Okay. Not sure I follow. Um, well, if there is no God, your moralism makes no sense. It's completely If there is no God, there's no basis for calling X thing, right. good or evil. Right. Your moralism and Hitler's moralism are both equally applicable and equally good in a world where there is no God. Gotcha. Okay. Because how can you determine what, I'm tracking with the, you what the standard yeah. is in a world where there's no God? So right. moralism makes no sense if you're not going to say there's moralism because of God. evil. Right? Right. So it, it's just really odd. Um, yeah. So they're, they're not salvation focused. Okay. Uh, but – that kind of ties into the third, which is uh, they downplay our fallenness. Okay. Okay. And honestly, man, to summarize all of that, progressive Christianity is new ageism. Yeah. Nine times yeah. out of ten. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's Jesus was a teacher. We respect him, but there's many ways to heaven. I think of Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr in the Catholic Church, which is – it's amazing to me that the Catholic Church like still – 
kind of accepts him. It's very strange. As many qualms as I have with the Roman Catholic Church, um, that one is strange to me because Richard Rohr is not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination, not at all. Um, he says that the, I mean, Marsha Montenegro talked about this when she was on, we talked about Richard Rohr and the Enneagram he created. Well, he didn't create it. He, ah, he gotcha, coined gotcha, that gotcha, and gotcha. said, this has been around forever. It's a Christian practice. It's not, it isn't, it hasn't been. Um, but he says that the, the, the Christ is kind of like this consciousness, which is a total new age, uh, new yeah. age concept. The Christ consciousness it exists in all of us and you are saved as long as you've seen the Christ and the Christ isn't Jesus. Jesus is holding up the Christ like a kite and Jesus is holding it, but it doesn't matter if you see Jesus or not. You just have to see the Christ. So if you think that it's Gandhi or it's Allah or it's Buddha, or it's, you know, one of the many, many, many Hindu gods, whatever that's it is, cool. that's cool. As long as you get the, the Christ. Right, right, and, right. and so then that is the Christ generally tends to be moralism. The focus is faith. Yeah. Just want you to believe in something. Believe, Don't care what believe it is. in something, be a good person. Don't hurt other people and understand that you're one with everything. It's new ageism. Um, nine times out of 10, maybe that's a little more woo woo than a lot of progressive Christians would be willing to go. But it's a spectrum, and it's not always so out there as I just made it. Maybe it's a little more tangible and rooted gotcha, in reality. Gotcha, gotcha. But that is the gist of it. With all that said, what does that have to do with culture, Zach? Our culture made this monster. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is our culture. <laughs> That's the problem. We live in a, a culture where the new God is being nice. So have you ever got a song stuck in your head and you can't do anything until you get that song out of your head? Okay. No joke. One time for like six months straight. <laughs> it, it was the worst. I And here's the deal. I was a decent song. Yeah, I liked it. Most people didn't. But like it – there's nothing about that song that should have gotten stuck in my head, but I could not stop humming it for like six months straight, and it'd make me more mad every time I realized it. Were there green alligators and long necks? No, but that song's awesome. <laughs> that song's awesome. Um, so I've been uh, been attending a class called Knowledge of the Holy. It's based on a book called Knowledge of the Holy by E.W. Tozer. The book was written back in the 60s. But there is one concept that he develops in the book and it's just short. It's about a half of a paragraph, but he says man's basic problem is, uh, God looks at man and says, I am who I am. And man looks back at God and says, no, I am. It's not you. It's me. It's, it's, it's all about me. It's all about moralism. It's all about that. That's kind of where our culture is right now. It's amazing to me that this book written, what now, 70 years ago mm. is just nailing it. It's hitting right on the head. That's interesting. I mean, and that's, that's really what it boils down to is this whole concept of Christianity expressed through cultures. Right. Is Every culture takes Christianity and runs with it. They do something with it. Right. 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 The question is, is what they're doing with it right or wrong? Because that's kind of how I've broken this down. And, and I hope you agree with me okay. is there are, 
that culture is not necessarily bad. And so culture can be at odds with Christianity or it can work with Christianity. And when it's at odds with Christianity, at worst, it turns Christianity into this terrifying thing that it is not. Okay. Right? Okay. When, when culture is working with Christianity, we learn so much more about God through other people's cultural lenses. We understand how to compute things in ways maybe our languages or our customs don't don't accentuate about God that another culture's may, right? It's kind of like what we were talking about how, you know, every language is going to be in heaven worshiping God and how that's beautiful. And that's amazing that it takes all types of cultures, all types of people to really fully, and I not even fully, but to come to a greater understanding and a greater love of God. Um, but we don't tend to go that route. Right, right. Y'all, we all got weaknesses. It's okay. Just acknowledge what those weaknesses are and be willing to confront them. Even when restoration doesn't work, forgiveness always does. Chris, how did you overcome the whole passive husband thing? I led him through it. (laughs) (laughs) There is work for us to do. It is not just sit back and cross my arms and just kind of wait for God to drop the miracle. Hey, y'all, it's Dana Shea. For real faith-based marriage advice, be sure to tune into Real Relationship Talk on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We, we, we as, as humans tend to try and make God into our own desires, our own wants. So have you come across in uh, your preparation here a book called Christ and Culture by Richard Niebuhr? No, sir. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused with Reinhold Niebuhr, who is a horribly uh, – uh, antagonistic uh, uh, theologian. He's the one that said God is dead. But Richard Niebuhr wrote a book Niebuhr? called Christ. Niebuhr? Wasn't that Nietzsche that said God is dead? Uh, Niebuhr is the fellow that said it from within the Christian church. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's not good. Um, n- no, not at all. But but Richard Niebuhr wrote a book called Christ and Culture, and he tried to define the relationship between the church and culture down through the ages. And he sets out four or five different models. He says, sometimes uh, the church says, uh, Christ is over the culture. And in those times, the church typically withdraws from culture and says, no, 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 we're totally different, totally distinct. We're over here. Culture is over there. Um, another was Christ under culture. And in those times, the culture sets the questions and the parameters. It's kind of what we're looking at right now with progressive Christianity. Uh, culture determines what Christ, what the church is. Another approach is Christ. Um, I'm not going to be able to remember them all. <clears throat> but the final one, the one that he settles on, is Christ transforming culture, which is uh, the role of the church is to meet the culture, understand the culture, and then transform it into uh, what God wants it to be. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think there's another element to that, sort of. Uh, like, there, there's a middle one. Mm-hmm. 
um, using culture to help people understand God. Yeah. That, yeah. Which is kind of yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. Okay. And do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're right, though, right? Like, there is culture, either culture can take the gospel and twist it into culture's image, or culture can be used to further the gospel and to uh, help people understand the gospel or explain, explain your, your second explanation Um, you just came to, uh, uh, culture, uh, over the church culture subdues the church. No, no. What was the other one? When it's transforming, transforming culture, the the scripture itself transforms the culture. That was the third one I was trying to say. Yeah. So, so you, yeah, you've either got culture ruining things. (laughs) Basically you've got the flip side of that, which is the the gospel is totally changing culture and the middle where they're kind of working together. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is good. Yeah. And I think you see it over and over again throughout scripture. The thing is, I think you can see differing expressions of Christianity that are influenced by culture, that doesn't make it bad. No, not at Uh, all. uh, Culture can be a very valid uh, uh, contributor to what Christianity looks like. If if you're going to reach the culture that you live in, to some extent, you have to engage with that culture. Well, that was... Uh, was this what I was talking about with John Morton? I, I'm wanting to say yes, but like the idea of there, there's a benefit of sending people of a certain culture to their own culture. might've been oh, Richard yeah. Mensah I was yeah. talking with. Um, but like, yeah, like, like an Islamic man is the best person or a man that was once a gotcha. Muslim. Yes. But now a Christian is going to reach or, or continues Muslims. to be a cultural Muslim, but not a theological Muslim. Right, right. right. Understands the understands the worldview, understands the, right. the culture. Right. They're going to be able to talk to a Muslim about Jesus way better than I can because there's yeah. a cultural bridge there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's aspects of uh, Islamic culture that are probably completely biblical and okay. Yeah. That doesn't mean they all are. There's right. going to be elements right. that are bad, right? right. But th- that's the part where culture is kind of a. It can be gray. It can be very gray. There is uh, a tendency, I think, when we come to the Lord, uh, when, when we're engaged in a church, we develop a certain way of doing things, and that kind of becomes a microculture within itself. Uh, the I, I think some of the most uh, accurate uh, condemnations of the church are actually not condemnations of the church, but condemnations of certain cultural expressions of the church. Yeah. Like, for example, there are segments of the church here in the United States where um, uh, all, all of the men have to uh, dress in dress slacks and white shirts all of the women have their hair up in buns, and it's an interesting reason why I believe that takes place, because uh, it's sinful for the woman to cut her hair, but it's also sinful for a woman to wear her hair down over her shoulders, because that's subductive. So the only thing you can do is wrap it around and put it on top of your head. Um, 
those are cultural expressions that many times I think would ostracize and alienate people uh, from the outside looking in. They could. Uh, they, they can when they're imposed on others. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's what I'm talking which, about. Which there's a difference when between – When you say, a- if you want to belong to us, then you must do this. Sure. I mean, and, and you'll find that with most, organiz- or most organized thought processes, though. And it's so incredibly subtle. Um, it can be an expectation of a certain type of dress when you go to church. It can be an expectation of a certain type of uh, expression when you go to church. It can be, do you stand up and sway with the music or do you fold your hands and sit down with the music? Right. Uh, all of those things ultimately end up being kind of a microculture within a culture. And it is seductively easy for us when we're uh, taking part of that to think, oh, this is Christianity. This is biblical. Th- yeah, this is biblical. But it's not. And it's not. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, so much so much of the church. <laughs> I had a kid get on to me the other day about something. And uh, it was just, a, I, I'm, I'm not going to make it too obvious. But uh, he, he called me out and I just said, you're right. I said, can you show me? where that is in scripture again. And he just stopped in the whole room went, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm not trying to pick on you, man. I was like, I get it. I said, I've heard that my whole life. I said, but show me, show me where, where is that in scripture? And I was like, it, we, we do this to ourselves all the time. Yeah. There's this joke about this farmer that goes into the church <clears throat> And uh, he goes into this random church after he's been working out in the fields that morning and he rolls in and he's dirty. He's, he's got dirt on his overalls, walks in and he sits down in the front row. And afterwards the pastor walks up to him and he says, Hey, uh, Hey brother, we're glad to have you here. He said, but you know, why don't you go home tonight and pray to God and ask him how you should dress when you come here? And the farmer said, okay, I can do that. He comes back the next Sunday and he's wearing the exact same thing, covered in dirty overalls. Afterwards, the pastor walks up to him and he says, Hey, brother, I thought I asked you to pray to God how you were supposed to dress when you came here. And he said, Oh, I did. I went home and I prayed to God on how I should dress when I come here. But God said he'd never been here before, so he couldn't help me. (laughs) And that is how I feel about tradition sometimes. Tradition for the sake of tradition, poo-poo. Poo-poo on you. And honestly, dude, the longer I'm in the church, the more cynical I get about it. We are so attached to a bunch of crap that's nowhere in the Bible, (laughs) and we act like it matters. And I just don't care. Tradition can be a helpful thing if it is used consciously. I agree. And if it is used to teach. It just isn't so But <laughs> so frequently, that is the last thing in our mind. Yeah. It's just that we've always done it this way. Right. Right. Um, so I would love to come back around and, and harp on that a little bit more when we, when we get the chance. <laughs> but can we talk a little bit about historically, to kind of build a case sure, for what we're talking sure, about here, sure. um, where the church has been at odds with culture and where it has worked together with culture. Yeah. yeah. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because a lot of these are in both categories 
a lot of the things I'm going to talk about are in the for and against category. It's very, okay. very weird. Okay. Um, the first one that came to mind for me was Hellenization. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so if for anybody listening, Hellenization um, is basically – and correct me anyway, you're smarter than me, so please fill in the gaps. But Alexander the Great was pushing the concept of Hellenization right. on all of the lands that he conquered. Hellenization. Uh, in in Greek, the word for Greek is Hellenos. So Hellenization means become Greek. Right. And the way they would do that is they didn't just impose their Greekness on everybody else. They wanted to like, it's almost how the new age works today. It's almost how Hinduism works where it kind of absorbs the culture it comes in contact with. Yeah. And so when Hellenization, like for instance, if Alexander the great came in contact with Egypt, which I believe he did, right? Oh yeah. They would have found commonality between the Greek gods and the Egyptian gods. Like probably. Zeus would have probably equated to Ra. Probably. Ra, like they, they kind of absorbed their culture and they tried to bridge it. Yeah. But that's why the Jews hated it. Because right. they're like, right. no, no, we will have no part <laughs> of your of your Greek pantheon. We're not going to play your ball game. We have one God. We worship one God. There is only one God. And that's why there's all this trouble comes out of that. That's, I mean, honestly, we were talking about the Pharisees earlier this week, right. you and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the good guys yeah. for a long, long time. It's not really until Jesus hits the scene that you realize the flaws in in what they're doing. First 150 years, yeah, they, they do a lot of good. They're kind of a back to the Bible movement. Right. Then they get away from the Bible. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, good for them for, for standing in the face of Hellenization and saying, no, we're going to hold to what Scripture says. Right. right. But they overdo it. Right. And that's the problem. Well, they impose their own ideas on Scripture then. Right. So take that into consideration. Sure. That's Hellenization at odds with Christianity, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Or well, yeah. Judaism, Christianity. Judaism you know, and an eventually Christianity. Right. Yeah. Let's flip it though. Hellenization led to the Septuagint. Yeah. Because Hellenization meant that Greek became the most spoken language in the known world at that right. point in time. Which meant – And this got the word out. That got the word out. <laughs> because then the Greek Bible gets developed right. and it leads to a massive well, spread of Christianity. You also have Old Testament written in Hebrew, which is uh, uh, about 1,200 words, very, very uh, emotive. In the, in the Hebrew Bible, there's only 1,200 words? Uh, there are only twelve hundred words in the Hebrew language. Twelve. It's like twelve. It's like six thousand. Today there are. Oh, back then there weren't. But back then there were. Only that makes like me feel so much better because I thought I lied yeah. to Donnie Green earlier this week. No, no, no. Oh, yes. No, it's like twelve hundred words in the Hebrew Bible. Okay. So the vocabulary is easy, but one word stands for like six or seven different concepts. Right. So you get the Old Testament very emotive, very picturesque, and you get these images after images that are presented. You go to the New Testament and you've got Greek. Greek is incredibly technical, incredibly precise. I mean, what 
better way to express the precision of what God has done than through the Greek language? Right. What better way to express the emotions of what God has done than through the Hebrew language? Right. So you got them both. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it right. Is. It's cool. So, like, in one way, Hellenization is this huge issue for Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side, it led to the massive spread of Christianity. Yes, it did. Because everyone else became Hellenized. Right. I mean, even some Jews did through the diaspora, right? Which meant that now you've got Jews in these other countries. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just – it's wild how it all happens. God is like so – he's so interesting. (laughs) He's just working in ways we don't even understand. Um, Another one is where – Let's do Christianity working uh, with culture. Philo of Alexandria. Okay, yeah. yeah. Philo of Alexandria looks at Greek philosophy, and then he looks at the Hebrew teachings. And he goes, hey, these are similar. And so he starts bridging this gap Mm -hmm. that the Greek philosophers have been inspired by the one true God. Yeah. It's this like, but but we would maybe look at that and go, oh well, wait, he's getting a little too close to philosophy. But it's like, no, this has led to how we use apologetics yeah. today. Yeah, that you know when we are, for instance, uh, an example, when we argue as Christians with, say, an atheist that does not accept the Bible as true, we don't argue from the Bible generally. To, to give them a – to try and get on their level, we argue from, well, let's just think about the world. You know, how did all this stuff get here? Oh, you don't have an answer? Well, I have an answer. Like it, we, we break it down to their level, right? Yeah. That's what Philo seems to be doing here is he's speaking their language and that's how we use apologetics today. So that's kind of incredible as well. Um, you've got Paul talking about the unknown god at Mars Hill. Yeah. Same yep, exact yep, yep. thing. He's standing, talking with a bunch of Romans. He's like, hey, I, you know, I see you've got all these gods that you worship. And you've got this one God over here that is to – it's the catch-all God. It's right. the God yeah. just in case you missed one. Well, guess what? You did miss one, and he's the only real one. Right. And he's the God that made all your gods. You know, like he, he's ex- he's expressing truth even through their cultural lens, Right. Paul, I think it's it's two or three times uh, he says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. To the barbarian, I became a barbarian. Paul says, no matter what culture I went into, I would adapt the presentation of the gospel in terms that were meaningful to them. Yeah. Become all things to all men so that I might save some. That by, by all means might reach some. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Expressions of the gospel of Christianity that doesn't change the core essence of Christianity. Right. Because that's our complaint with progressive Christianity. It changes the core. Yes. A low view of Christ, uh, moralism instead of salvation, you know, all of that is very not just well, – it, it's anti biblical. It's right. It's, uh, it, yeah. it puts all the focus back on us instead right. of on God, which is exactly the opposite of what Paul 
everybody else Jesus is trying to do in the New Testament. Well, that, yeah. well that's right. I mean, Christianity is the only religion in the world um, where the hero of the story isn't anyone in the story. It's the guy that's sitting just at the edge of the story the whole time. It's God. Right. right He's always right. kind of on the outskirts. He's not generally in the narrative. He kind of weaves in and out of the narrative, but he's always the one who's pulling the strings. He's always the one at the heart of the story. And then he comes into the story, dies to save the bad guys of the story. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do? We go, oh, you know, we're really good people. You know, and God just loves us all and he just wants us to play nice and, and, and just love each other. And, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you are. It's like, no, we could not be farther from the mark when we yeah. start saying things like that. Yeah. Like there is one way and it's Jesus Christ. That's it. And it's all about him. It's not about us. That's the story. Um, but yeah, that's the problem with progressive Christianity is it twists that up into knots. Um, another thing I thought of. Yeah. Jesus's name. It's not Jesus. Right. It's that is a cultural twist that we now accept as J Jesus's name. L I'm going to take a crack at this once again. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to get some some names wrong here, I'm sure. But he's from Galilee. Galilee. Which means that his name would have been pronounced Yeshu. Right. Right. His Hebrew name would have been Yeshua. Right. And there is a, it, it ends with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Right. Uh, no, not Aleph, Ayin. And, uh, there is a glottal stop. You got to kind of. Yeah. That, that weird little. Close your, noise. Yeah. That little <laughs> walk there at the yeah. very end. So in Galilee, they dropped, uh, Final ions. So, yeah, it would have been Jesu. Because they're the hillbilly Jews. That's right. That's, That's right. right. So they're going to speak a more condensed, simplified version, right? Very much so. Okay. Yeah. Which, hey, no hate on the hillbillies. I'm a hillbilly. I'm from southern Indiana, <laughs> y'all. All right? So no no hate. Just saying. It is what it is. <laughs> um, so they take Yeshua, make it Yeshu. Right. Right? Right. But then – in which which is Joshua. Right. That's Joshua. Yeah, Joshua. Right? That's his name. His name is right, Joshua. Right, right. But then in the Greek, they pick it up and that would make it Yesu. Right. Right? Once you translate it into the Greek. Right. But the problem is they don't end words that way. Names they don't that end way. Names that way. So they right. make it Yesus. And so we get Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Once it gets translated into English, because it doesn't even have a J, it has a Yoda, which is an I, but right. we've turned that into a J sound. Yeah. So there you go. You have like literally two <laughs> cultural lenses, three, because you've got the, you've got well, the Galilean. Linguistic. Yeah. Right. But, but that's my point though, is like, that's still cultural. Yeah. A language belongs to a culture. That's the, that's the hillbilly Jews take the name from the high, Jewish right. language, they change it, then the Greeks change it, then we, in our many translations, change it, and today we call him something that isn't even his name. He doesn't care. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have recognized it. No, but like that's amazing, right? And that's not bad. No, that's just, no, no. It's I, just an alternate expression. It, it, it has meaning for us. That's right. 
And like, I, I think we're going to get to heaven and I'm going to call Jesus, Jesus, and he's going to know who I'm talking to. And he's going to love that. He's going to be like, yeah. happy to see you, Zach. Like, it's gonna be like, <laughs> like, that's a, that's cool. That's cool that we've got these expressions. Um, but I, it's not always been that way historically. Right. There's not always been good, right? We already talked about the Hellenization and that was difficult. What about, uh, what about like Daniel and his friends in Babylon? Okay. Yeah. They yeah. get they get exiled. Right. They're taken into Babylon. Which king is it? Is it Nebuchadnezzar? It's Nebuchadnezzar. <sighs> they eat different food. Yeah. But the Jews aren't allowed to eat that food. It's non-kosher food. So they go on a veg- vegetarian diet, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Right? Yeah. They eat fruits and vegetables. Because there were restrictions on the way meats were to be prepared in Jewish law. But fruits and vegetables, peel them and eat them, dude. <laughs> yeah, right. But like they're, they're put in a tough situation. They're limited yeah. on their food. Yep. Um, they're told that they've got to pray to a golden idol yes. of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Yes. And they refuse. They refuse. And so they're thrown into a furnace. Now they live, which is pretty cool, right? But they're they're put in a really, really bad spot because but, God's culture clashes right. with the culture of the world. Well, but but that's a good thing. It's not so much that the Babylonian culture and the Jewish culture clashed; it's that what Babylon was asking them to do was contrary to the essence of Judaism. And they said, oh, no, that's a line I won't cross. Mm -hmm. I will not pray to anybody but God. Right. I will not bow to anybody but God. That's a line I don't cross. And that is what uh, you just laid out, kind of the crux of what I'm trying to say here, is the cultures of the world so often pull towards free-for-all or – anti-God in general. Like the more liberal a culture gets, Many times. the more it goes free for all. Right. The more conservative a culture gets, it's no, we're right, you're wrong. Regardless of which direction that goes, it still stands at odds with the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that is always going to cause friction. And so you see that over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. But then you see it now you see it. I mean, think about like the 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 Romans. Um, you know, they hated the Jews. They hated Christianity. I, I said this on Easter. You know, Roman candle is a firework for a reason. Like they lit us on fire because <laughs> of the God we worship. They didn't like us. So culture seems to want to pull Christianity apart. It does not like the rigidity of Christianity. It doesn't like the claims of Christianity that this is the one true God. This is it. Okay. Hang with me here because I think there's a really good application of this in the book of Acts. Um, The early church goes out and they begin to evangelize. And as they evangelize, non-Jews begin to come to Jesus. So now the question is, oh, can they? Or do they have to become Jewish first? Uh, and they were split. The early church was split. 
Some people said they have to become Jewish in order to follow Christ. Why? Because the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is there, and the Old Testament says you've got to do it this way. Eat kosher food, uh, worship in the temple. Uh, others, like Paul, said it seems to me that Jesus brought an end to the Old Testament way of doing things. Uh, it doesn't attack the core of following God. If you follow Jesus, you are following God, but you don't have to be Jewish. Um, that was a huge split in the early church. Uh, they held a, a massive council where they brought everybody that had decision-making power together. They talked about it for several days, and at the end of the day, they said, uh, no, Christianity is something brand new. We understand traditions. If you are Jewish and a Christian, keep eating kosher meat, keep going to the temple, keep doing the kind of things that you need to do because you're a Jew. But if you're not a Jew, then they laid down, I, there were five instructions. Two of them were just, I mean, it was just plain morality. It was... uh uh, 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 I think it was oh, the no sanctity of marriage, right? Yeah. And uh, there don't was eat another blood one with like me, don't that. eat meat with blood in it. Well, and that was in deference to the Jews. And it seems to me like they're actually saying when you are together with your Jewish friends at church, don't eat blood. Yeah, don't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols because that still has the blood in it. Keep it kosher so that your Jewish friends are able to eat with you. Otherwise, you're dividing the church. That makes sense. Yeah. So here's a case where tradition, it looked like it was the core essence of what it meant to be a Christian. But the church came together, and after thinking about it, they said, no, it's really not. It's really not. The core here is if you're following Jesus, you're following God. Right. And you don't have to be Jewish to follow Jesus. So, right. well, well, okay. To add to that. Yeah. So, Babylon. Sorry. Uh, the Tower of Babel. Okay. Yeah. We've talked about this a million times on here. Okay. But that, I believe, Michael Heiser points this out in his work. I think he's spot on. People will disagree. That's okay. You're wrong. Um, but. At that point in time, the nations don't want to worship God at the Tower of Babel. They don't want to do what he's commanded them to do. So right. they centralize. They, right. don't, they don't spread out they like don't he spread said. Out. They don't go subdue the earth. They centralize and they want to make a name for them, not a name right. for God. God. Right? right? So he's like, okay, fine. I'm done with you. He then, if you look in Deuteronomy, I think it's 32, says that he divides the nations according to the number of his sons. Okay, that's the sons of God. That is the angelic beings. That is what I believe have been perceived as the gods of every nation for the history of time. Right. So now they've all got these kind of overwatchers. These people look though these these angelic, well, or demonic, however you view it, beings looking over them. Right. God um, 
then shows us through scripture, like in, in Psalm 82, that those, those beings that were put in charge of those nations, they fell. They were not good. They became corrupted by their selfishness, by their right. own, uh, yep. wanting they to be God. They also yep. sinned. God said, you'll die like men, right? Okay. The nations are in the hands of powers and principalities of darkness. Okay. We see that all throughout scripture, like when he's talking to Daniel, when Daniel's in prison, right? He sees, uh, or the, the angel of the Lord comes to Daniel, says, I've been at war with the prince of Persia. Right. We see it when he's talking up to the prince or the king of Tyre. We see it when he's, uh, in Ezekiel, uh, when he's talk that, that is the king of Tyre in Ezekiel. It's like he's talking to a, person like a ruler right. and he's talking to a like being a, a, a divine being behind that person right like a spiritual right. being okay the point is all of the nations have been placed in the hands of other beings god then immediately turns around directly after babel in the genesis account and he picks up abraham right and his promise to abraham is that you will be the father of many nations. Right. Okay. But the thing is, he only births one nation out of Abraham and that's Israel. So what's he talking about? Well, that's what Jesus came to do. God handed over all of the nations to their own wants and desires and his fallen sons looked over them, whatever. Jesus, through his death on the cross, death and resurrection, reclaimed all of the nations to himself. And mm -hmm. that's what you see at Pentecost when they're all now speaking in different languages, but they all understand each other. Whereas at Babel, their language was confused. Right. Right. So we see that all of the nations are clearly now, by the sign of the Spirit, under God's control. He is now the ruler of all nations. Abraham's promise from God is now fulfilled. He is the father of many nations. And that's what Paul is pointing out to us. So my whole point here is God's whole plan all along was to be worshipped by every nation. Yeah. By yeah. every culture. Yeah. That, yeah. that they would all conform to his word through his son Jesus. Um. Okay, we're talking history, so let's go back in uh, shorter history, about 200 years ago. Uh, after uh, First Great Awakening in uh, England, Second Great Awakening, which came shortly after that, uh, there were some significant changes that took place in England. I have read a book that traces the changes back to the great awakening of George Whitfield, John Wesley. They say it's because of what they did that England didn't go the route of France. You kind of get Charles Dickens writing about that in the tale of two cities, two cities being London and Paris in Paris. It, this took place at roughly the same time in Paris. Things end up in, uh, what did they call it? The, uh, uh, the, the, the Renaissance. No, no, uh, no, no, it was the violent revolution. It was oh, the uh, oh. guillotines and, uh, yeah, it was the end of the monarchy. Uh, well, in England, it goes a different route. You still have the monarchy being de-emphasized, but it's a peaceful route. 
the byproduct of that in England ended up being the Industrial Revolution, which it was moving culture forward. So what did people like Whitfield and Wesley do? Wesley, we hear a lot about his theology and a lot about uh, the hymns with Charles Wesley and whatnot. But Wesley began local clinics. He actually tried to bring medicine to the people. Now, we can say that his methods were weird. He used electroshock therapy. He had uh, those machines that would generate uh, like static electricity, and then he'd shock people with them because he thought that would make them Are you saying that Wesley is responsible for the terrible ending of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Because (laughs) you're ruining it for me here, Randy. Um, what I'm saying is that Wesley tried. Wesley tried. He he uh, went into culture and he did his best to transform culture. Same thing happened when the Awakenings came over to the States. You get things like the temperance movement coming out of the Great Awakenings. Uh, women's suffrage comes out of the church. Salvation Army, which is in essence a group of people coming together to try to reach uh, disadvantaged peoples. You get uh, underground railroads and things like that coming out of uh, uh, religious movements, great awakenings. The church transforming culture. Now we flip forward to the 20th century and you have the church that is now steeped in tradition and there is a, a great awakening in the 20th century, but it takes a very different form. Um, the church, especially around the middle of the 20th century, begins to withdraw from culture mm. and say culture is evil. Culture is twisted. Uh, we've got to keep ourselves pure from culture. So in that case, you have the church taking a different stance that what we're doing is right, what you're doing is wrong, so we're going to go over here in our corner and do our thing. So you have movements like uh, the uh, silent majority or the moral majority, as it came to be known, uh, which is the, the – I won't try to – Define it. You can uh, figure out on your own what, what, what we're uh, talking about here. But the church, instead of transforming culture, alienates itself from culture, withdraws from culture, tries to set up a distinct churchy culture. And I think that's why a lot of progressive Christians want some form of progressive Christianity, not in the way we defined it before, but they are trying to get back to saying, no, the church needs to impact. It needs to transform culture. Liberation theology, as it was born first in Europe, Jürgen Moltmann, and then later a number of theologians in Latin America, went too far. They... I believe uh, 
downplayed the essence of Christianity. Mitzi J. Smith is an excellent okay. example of that, okay. saying that the gospel is endorsing slaver, uh, slavery, right, right, things like that, and it's like what? Like no, but there were segments of Christianity that endorsed slavery. They were wrong. Right. They were horribly wrong. Because it's opposed to what Scripture says. Right, right. Right. But it was a cultural expression for him. Right. In their culture, they were used to slavery and right. they perpetuated it. Right. What we need to do is identify what is truly Christian and what is not Christian. And let that change us first. And then do our best to change the culture. Which, how do we end up here so often, Randy? How do we end up here at this answer so often? Ready for it? How do we do that, Randy? <laughs> Gee, I don't know. If only we had like a book or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, I think people get mad that like that's just the answer every time. It I, doesn't matter what the question is. Yeah, like, I don't think they're maddened by that. I I think they just go, oh, okay, they just right, but they kind of roll their eyes and say, here we go again. But that's because they're not doing it. Yeah, we're not doing it as a culture. We're not doing it. Yeah, some of us are, some of us are, some of us better than others. If only we would just read what God has commanded of us, and then if we did it, but that's Wouldn't just it. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> we wouldn't need this stupid show. We wouldn't need to sit here once a week and get angry at microphones. Um, or I get angry. You just smile. But it's, uh, I'm not really angry. I'm just loud. Um, but, yeah, it's like <sighs> – we we don't do what we're commanded. Yeah. And, and that's how cultures get here. Uh, that that whole deal you were talking about, dude, it, it hurt me because it's so true. The whole concept of like the moral majority, like let's just withdraw and hide in yeah. our churches. Yeah, yeah. It's not biblical. It is right. not what we were commanded to do. Right. Jesus commanded us to go and be here. Boom. I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to read it because that's easier. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, it's coming. Oh, that's not what I wanted it to do. <laughs> John seventeen fourteen through 15. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, this is Jesus speaking, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Yeah. Jesus isn't of the world, but he was in it. Yep. And we... If we are in Jesus, are not to be of the world, which means right. we are not defined right. by right. or confined by right. the world. We are determined by Christ. Right. We are right. we are doing his work. But, but we, we are, are in, in the world. We are to stay yeah. here. And Jesus' request to God was that we do stay here. Yeah. And that we be his agents change here. It. That's yeah. right. We yeah. subdue it. Yeah. The command never changed, dude. R Subdue the earth. Rule. Go be the image bearers Rule. of God. Yeah. Rule it in the image of God. Guys, we don't do it by being nice and hiding. 
All right. Sometimes Jesus was a prickly person, but he was right and he helped people because of it. That's right. Sometimes we'd be exceptionally nice because Jesus was exceptionally nice at times and exceptionally forgiving. But sometimes we just got to tell people like it is too. It's, it's holistic. It's not a one size fits all answer. Read the Bible. Y'all read the Bible. Go do what it says. We love you. We want you to change the world. We want to change the world, and we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, living in us, moving in us, working in us. Go read your Bibles. Pray about it. Yeah. Get together. Be open Talk to change. Be open to be doing open. something that you haven't done before. Oh, my yeah. gosh, dude. We're so – we all think we got to figure it out. We're so caught up in our own tradition. Our own tradition, or we, we don't think there's any more to learn. We don't think or, – or we just don't think we could ever do it. Yeah, you can. You can totally do it. We yeah. believe in you. God believes in you. He he had he had Moses, a murderer and a stutterer, <laughs> go lead an entire nation, okay? He had David. Those are two very different things. Eh? <laughs> well, he had to give public speeches. Yeah, that yeah, was no, his – that yeah, was yeah. Moses' argument is I'm a, I I'm am a not stutterer. a good speaker. Okay, look. I'm just saying he's not a good public speaker. Well, guess who's going to be the new public speaker? Moses. You know, like – he can use you. He can use you. He has used plenty of broken people throughout history. We're all broken people, yeah. and he uses yeah. us anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But we got to do something, y'all. So get out there and make it happen. That's all. <laughs> I'm smiling. I really am. I you promise. are. You that's are. A, that's yeah. all I got. You got anything else, Randy? Oh, gee, many no. <laughs> and, if you're, and if you go to a church and they say they're a progressive Christian church, um, ask them their views on Jesus. Yeah, find out what they really mean. Ask them their views on Christianity. Ask them if they're – ask them how you get to heaven. Ask yeah. them where salvation comes from. If the answer isn't from Jesus Christ alone, you get out. Get <laughs> out of there now. Yeah, that's not the progressive kind of Christianity that you want. No. I mean, progressive – and that's just it. But if they're saying – we believe in Jesus. We believe that he saved us and we want to make a difference in the world. Stick around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I would argue if that's what they want to do, they need to find a better word because progressive <laughs> is taken. True. Yeah. It's a bad word now. It's, it is. You don't want it. Yeah. You do not want that title. If that's what you mean, great. But find a new name. <laughs> um, Y'all, we're out. We're getting out of here. Uh, if you want to check out more of our podcasts, go to lifeaudio.com. Check them out. Check out all the other podcasts on Life Audio. They are our partners in crime. They're great. We like them. Uh, lots and lots and lots of fun podcasts on parenting and reading the Bible and history and all sorts of things. Uh, check that out. Check us out at saltysaintspodcast.com. Write us. Talk to us. You guys, I've told you episode after episode now that I want to hear from you, and I just haven't heard a word, haven't heard anything. So please, that would make my little day if you would write me something. <laughs> just send me a smiley face or something. I don't care. I'll just be like, thanks, pal. Um, but that'd be great. And what else? If you got questions, do it through the website. I'm going to stop saying send us emails. Yeah, yeah, do it through yeah, the website. Yeah. I'm directing If all you got prayer requests, drop, a, uh, drop an audio um, uh a, a voice message to us yeah. from the website. It's built into the app. If you're doing yep. it from your phone, you don't even have to have a microphone or anything. Just do it. Hold the microphone button down and talk to us. Bingo. And we'll love pray it. for you. Absolutely. We'd love to play uh, play your prayer request if you're okay with that. Maybe you tell us if you want that or not. I don't sure. know. Sure. Um, 
That's all. Until next time, stay salty. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.